Hear now the word of God as it comes to us from Matthew's Gospel in the 18th chapter, beginning in verse 31, 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of this church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and he could not pay. So his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So there was a pastor, I'm going to call him Reverend Smith, who was scheduled to conduct the funeral of a member of his church at 1 o'clock on a Wednesday So he went into the office of the church that morning and wrote the sermon for the funeral. And then about 11.30, he thought he would go home and have a sandwich, rest for a while, and then come back for the funeral service. Well, he did that. Went home, made a sandwich, sat down in front of the TV, turned it on, and there was a baseball game on. And Reverend Smith loved baseball. He got immediately just sucked into this really great game. Time passed. He looked up, and it was about 15 minutes to 1, and he thought, I really should probably leave, but I can make it if I, if I go in five more minutes. So he gave himself five more minutes to watch the baseball game, and immediately he gets sucked back in because it's really, really good. Well, at five minutes to one, the organist starts playing. And at five minutes after one, everybody in the church starts turning around in their pew looking for Reverend Smith. At 1.30, the church secretary called his phone repeatedly, but he didn't answer because he had it turned off. At 2 o'clock, the church secretary, now in a panic, called the pastor at a neighboring church, and bless his heart, that man jumped in the car and came over and conducted the funeral in the place of Reverend Smith. Finally, sometime after 2.30, Reverend Smith came up out of his baseball fog, looked at the clock, and realized what he had done, and he was just sick to his stomach over it. So he jumped in his car and drove to his church, but it was too late. People were already pouring out of the sanctuary. The service was over, 
And he decided that rather than going in and trying to talk to the widow right then, he'd give her some space and he'd go over to her home later and apologize to her in person in private. So he drove over later and went up to the widow's front door and knocked. And she opened the door and saw him and said, I will never forgive you. Not ever. And then she slammed the door in his face. Friends, this is the first of two sermons that I'm preaching on the topic of forgiveness. Today we will talk about forgiving others, and next week we'll talk about forgiving ourselves. But either way, I think that most of us struggle with forgiveness throughout our lives. It is really hard for us. I think there are probably people sitting here today who have felt like that widow in the story at one time or another and thought that some magic line had been crossed, you know, and then we think, I will never forgive, not ever, whether that's for a single offense or for repeated offenses that have just worn us out over time. Of course, this isn't anything new. More than 2,000 years ago, Peter asked the question, Lord, how many times must I forgive? Seven times enough? Now, this was a really good question on Peter's part because the rabbis at the time taught that you only had to forgive someone three times. It was sort of a strikes and you're out rule. So when he offered up seven times, I'm sure Peter thought he was being really generous and he might even get a pat on the back from Jesus, but he didn't, did he? Instead, I think Peter was stunned when Jesus came back with his answer. No, Peter. Not seven times, 77 times, 77 times. Why in the world would Jesus ask us to forgive 77 times? Well, I think there are two reasons. The first is that Jesus wants to make sure we understand that real forgiveness is limitless. You see, he knows us so well. And he knows then that what we're really good at is scorekeeping, not forgiveness. And so, you know, I'm sure there's some folks who heard this text and thought, 77? Okay, so that means I can keep my balance sheet to 77, and when we cross over to 78, it's time to even the score. But that is not what Jesus is saying. Now, friends, when we are counting like that, well, that means we're just biding our time. When we have a limit on the number of times we will forgive, then it is scorekeeping. It's not forgiveness, and there is a very big difference between the two. There was a young man who committed a very serious offense early in his marriage. He was unfaithful to his wife, and it really hurt her. And it hurt their families as well because it got out into their family system and everybody was upset. It was just a mess. But he was confessional and remorseful. He apologized. They went to counseling and did some really hard work. And eventually his wife forgave him and they agreed to go forward together. But the same could not be said for this man's mother-in-law. Now, his mother-in-law said that she forgave him, 
But in reality, what she did was keep score. Because she brought up his sin before him over and over and over again. Anytime he did anything that she disapproved of, she brought it up. And when they were in conflict, she not only brought up that particular sin, but anything else she could have added to his balance sheet since the last fight. So that she could win or punish him or lay her on shame. Friends, have you ever been with someone like that? Who brings up your sin before you over and over again, even when they say they have forgiven you? Have you ever been in conflict with a person who does that, who brings up everything you have ever done and drags it out into this particular conflict in an effort to win or punish you or layer on shame? That, my friends, is not forgiveness. That is scorekeeping. And the end game of scorekeeping is manipulation. And manipulation is unhealthy. So my friends, Jesus, who loves us, does not want us to engage in scorekeeping behavior, which is so unhealthy and manipulative. He calls us instead to offer true forgiveness, which is limitless. And second, I think that he asks us to forgive 77 times, this enormous amount, because he wants us to understand that the kind of limitless forgiveness he asks of us is not something that we can offer on our own. It's impossible for us. If we say to ourselves, I can never forgive, not ever, that is probably right under our own power. We need God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to forgive like that because we have not God's grace in our lives, you see. That same grace can be at work, helping us to offer this limitless forgiveness. And Jesus illustrates this point with this very powerful parable about the landowner. He says there was a landowner who had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, friends, 10,000 talents is an enormous sum of money. It would be the equivalent of like $10 million in today's terms. So there is no way this servant could ever repay this 10,000 talents to the master. And given the culture at the time and their practices, the master orders him off to debtor's prison. But the servant has a wife and children, and so he falls on his knees before the master and begs him for mercy, saying, please have patience. I promise I will pay you back every single penny if you'll just give me time. Now, of course, this is a ridiculous promise, and the landowner knows it. As I mentioned, this is a huge sum of money. This servant could work 24-7 for the rest of his life and he would never, ever pay off the 10,000 talents. But the landowner is moved. And so he not only does not throw this servant and his family into debtor's prison, he forgives this enormous debt. But then, says Jesus, incredibly... Right after this encounter, right after this conversation, the same servant walks away, runs into someone who owes him a hundred denarii. 
100 denarii is about $3,000 in today's terms. And the servant reaches out and grabs this person by the throat and begins to squeeze and says, pay up, you lazy thief. And when the man cannot, he has him thrown into debtor's prison. Well, the master hears about this and he calls in the servant and says, what have you done? What are you thinking? I forgave you this enormous debt that you could never have repaid. And then when someone owes you so much less, you throw them in debtor's prison? Well, off to prison with you then. And then Jesus ends this parable with these very harsh words. He says, so God will also do to you if you do not forgive others. Ouch! That is very, very harsh, is it not? It actually sounds like a threat, doesn't it? And I've heard this text preached from that perspective. God will punish you for all eternity if you don't forgive others, so get to the forgiven. But I don't think Jesus was really big into threats. And if we obeyed this request that we forgive others as God has forgiven us because we've been threatened, then that would mean that we are acting out of fear. And that doesn't sound like Jesus to me, does it to you? So I don't think that's the point of this text. Friends, I think Jesus uses these very harsh words at the end of the parable to get our attention. He's making an extremely important point. He wants us to understand that we are indeed expected to offer limitless forgiveness. But if we look closely at the parable, we see that the other piece of this is that the servant has been forgiven for, by the master and thus can forgive. Yes, we are to offer this limitless forgiveness, but we don't do it on our own. We have known grace, and that same powerful grace is at work within us, enabling us to forgive even when we think that we cannot. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, this all sounds pretty good. Few people will argue that forgiveness is not a good thing. However, I tend to agree with C.S. Lewis, who says that forgiveness sounds like a really good idea to most folks until they have something serious to forgive. And I think that is so true. Over the years in ministry, many people have shared their stories with me, stories that might be similar to your story, stories about being terribly abused and hurt by people in their lives. Stories about betrayal, stories about being swindled out of money, being cheated, being lied to. People have told me heartbreaking stories about terrible harm 
that others have inflicted on them. And because of these experiences, they feel they will not and they cannot ever forgive. And this has become a burden that they carry for years, for decades, for generations, despite the fact that it's hurting them. And they know it. It's negatively affecting their work, their relationships, their health, and yet still they feel they cannot forgive. Like that widow, they want to say, I will never forgive, not ever. Deep down, there are many of us who carry wounds from terrible things. And in our heart, we feel that we have been harmed so badly that forgiveness is not possible, even with the help of God. And friends, I think I understand perhaps why, why we can feel that something has happened to us that has wounded us so badly that we cannot forgive it. And I think it might be because so many of us are socialized in a culture that just gets it dead wrong when it comes to the way forgiveness works. Think about it. Most of us from a very young age are stood up by a teacher or a parent or a babysitter or some other authority figure, and we are walked through the motions of apology and forgiveness. The offender says, I'm sorry. The one who has been hurt says what? What do we say? It's okay. It's okay. We're taught to say, it's okay. Well, if you stepped on my foot, maybe it is okay. But there are things that happen to people in this life that will never be okay. They weren't okay when they happened. They're not okay today, and they will never be okay. And if we have come to believe that forgiveness means pronouncing something excusable that is inexcusable, then no wonder folks get stuck there and feel they can never, ever forgive. Are we supposed to pretend that a terrible, wounding event didn't mean anything to us? Well, thanks be to God, that is not how forgiveness works. Friends, the Greek word for forgiveness means to let go or to release. Forgiveness does not mean excusing the inexcusable, pronouncing something okay that could never be. It is instead a conscious choice on the part of the person who has been hurt to let it go. Specifically, to let it go to God. To place it in God's hands and trust that the one who loves us the most will deal with it. It does not mean pronouncing the inexcusable, excusable. And the other thing it doesn't necessarily mean is that there has to be reconciliation. Which is the other piece of forgiveness that we learn in the culture, that there must be reconciliation. Think again about that model with young children. Someone says they're sorry. The other person says it's okay. And then somebody usually makes you shake hands. 
But sometimes reconciliation between the offender and the offended is not even safe, let alone healthy. And friends, I don't think that Jesus ever meant to say to any of us that it is not okay to draw healthy boundaries with people in our lives so that we are safe and healthy. Jesus does not say, forgive them and let them back into your life and allow them to abuse you over and over and over again and make you afraid and dominate you and control you 77 times. Jesus would never expect that of anyone. And so although reconciliation is a wonderful goal, it is not always possible. And that's okay. There may be no tears or hugs. It may also be true that the offender may never be sorry. There may be no remorse on the part of the person who has hurt you. They may never know that you have forgiven them. In fact, some of the most powerful experiences of forgiveness I have witnessed in ministry have happened when the offender was long deceased. They won't know. But if you are the one forgiving, you will know. You will know. And you will know the relief and the freedom of releasing that burden into the hands of God. I think there's wisdom in the old saying that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. And one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had of this kind of forgiveness happened with a dear friend of mine, a childhood friend. My friend grew up without his father because his father abandoned the family when he was a very little boy and never looked back. He divorced my friend's mother and that was it. There was never a single visit or a card or a birthday gift, or a Christmas gift, or a phone call. There was nothing from his dad. So my friend grew up longing for his father and wondering why his dad abandoned him and why he didn't seem to love him. And I remember sitting with my friend in high school, crying with him, as he told me how many times he had fantasized that he would be on the ball field or on the stage in a play or at some other school event and he would look out in the stands or the audience and his father would somehow miraculously shown up. And I remember too how he hoped beyond hope that somehow his dad would hear about high school graduation and that he might be there. But of course he was not. And as my friend grew older, this deep, deep wounding this terrible hurt deepened and festered and became anger and resentment and even hate. My friend said he hated his father for abandoning him and his mother. This burden was so great in my friend's life, it was like a shadow hung over him. 
It shaped who he was. He thought about it all the time. But thanks be to God, when he was a 40-year-old man, my friend went to see a counselor who was very wise. And the counselor said, you have got to let this go. The person who did something wrong is your father, but the one who is being punished every single day is you in your head. She said, you believe in a higher power, right? And he said, I do. And she said, son, let this go to that higher power and you will finally be free. And he did. And he was. My friends, Jesus doesn't ask us to forgive 77 times because he's trying to lay out an interesting challenge for us or trying to lay a burden on our shoulders. Jesus calls us to forgive 77 times because forgiveness is the path to wholeness and freedom in him. If you are holding on to something that you need to forgive, if like that widow you have said, I will never forgive, not ever, please hear me. With God's help, you can, you can let it go. You can. Take one step toward God and open your hand and God will meet you more than halfway to take that burden off of your shoulders. If you need to forgive, let it go, friends. Let it go, let it go, let it go to God in the name of Jesus. Let it go. And you will know freedom. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for by your grace we are forgiven a debt we could never repay. And so, Lord, we ask that by that same grace we have the courage to step out and forgive as well. Lord, help us to let go of past hurts so that we may know freedom in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our invitation to Christian discipleship this week, friends, is to forgive. Not to pronounce things okay that are not, but to let it go to God and no freedom in Christ.